1: It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. Happy Halloween. Here's some Halloween news. Somebody did a poll showing that America's favorite candy is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Now, I don't like peanut butter, so I can't speak to that. I'm a candy corn guy. And the Washington Post has a whole takeout <laughs> on the history of candy corn and all the new flavors, uh, some of which sound disgusting. Uh, I am officially giving up on the weather app on my iPhone. The other night, you know, I've been thinking for months it's not a very good one. The other night, look at the uh, app, partly cloudy, going to be partly cloudy for the rest of the night. This tremendous thunderstorm swept through at least my part of Washington, which I... Didn't see coming for obvious reasons. And I went back to the app. And even while the rain was coming down five, ten minutes later, it still said partly cloudy. That is incompetence. A human being would be fired for this. So um, I think I've downloaded the AccuWeather app and we'll see if it's any better. Um, You can't make this up. Ron DeSantis was doing an interview with a podcaster named Patrick Bet David. And this got news coverage because he asked him about a theory. A theory that's bouncing around online. Saying that the governor wears heels inside his boots to make him appeal taller. Now, DeSantis has dismissed this. He says he's 5'11". But what's up with this? Uh, you got to be tall to be president? I know there... Some prognosticators have said there is a bias against shorter people. But, you know, this is just ridiculous. I don't know why I'm wasting your time on this, but I just found it amusing. Uh, What I didn't find so amusing, what I find pretty outrageous, you know, I had basically been on this crusade against the New York Times for a headline that really is a black mark on the paper's reputation, and that was the original... You know, Israel kills hundreds in hospitals, Palestinians say. So here's an item from the website Semaphore saying Biden raged against the Times in a private White House meeting early last week because one result of that headline, and there were other news organizations that also went with versions of the story, and CNN also Ran a correction for an initial headline, wrongly, falsely, and irresponsibly, blaming that bombing on Israel when actually it was an errant uh, Islamic Jihad rocket. So the result was, you know, by the time Biden landed in Israel, his the second leg of his trip to Jordan to meet with Arab leaders was canceled. And the whole region was inflamed. So the president told these executives that the headline was irresponsible and could have triggered military escalation in the Middle East. Two people briefed on the conversation told Semaphore. He fumed in particular that the headline had appeared in American newspaper. Well, so Biden and I agree on this. Uh, And the fact that the Times essentially had to apologize in an editor's note last week, I think, closes the case. I haven't had much chance to talk about Mike Pence on the podcast here. Um, You know, it wasn't a shock when he withdrew from the presidential race. He always had a very tall mountain to climb as I discussed with him when he was on Media Buzz. I said, you know, you don't have great support in either camp, the people who hate what you did on January 6th, Trump loyalists in the Republican Party by refusing to block the Electoral College certification of Joe Biden. And then there's the people who like what you did on January 6th, admire you, almost think you're a hero, but they look at your running on the Trump Pence record for four years, they don't like your your subservience to Donald Trump. So, I think, although I'm sure Pence wanted to win, and maybe he thought he that lightning would strike, that he was, always, he was always doomed. The day he did that on January 6th meant he would never be president. Uh, and I think he bowed out gracefully by citing the Bible. Uh, yeah, there was a, a time for everything under the sun for all seasons. And then say, this is not my time. Uh, he was having trouble raising money. He was going nowhere in the polls. And he um, the first major candidate, I would say, to hang it up. All right. Story number one. The new speaker, Mike Johnson. In his first real substantive move is picking a major battle with President Biden. Here, I'll read from Politico. Speaker Mike Johnson uh, yesterday unveiling the House's, the House Republicans, I should say, $14.3 billion aid package for Israel's military drive against Hamas. And he says he'll pass that on the floor this week. So, In order to be fiscally responsible, Johnson and his allies are saying, well, we'll pay for this. We'll have a pay-for, as it's known uh, in congressional lingo or an offset. We will take away $14.3 billion from the IRS. That was part of a big Biden package. Very much... Um, cheered by Democrats, giving a lot of money to the IRS in order, according to the president at least, to crack down on tax cheats who make more than $400,000 a year. Republicans didn't like this. This was something they voted against. It didn't matter. It passed. So you got that battle where the Democrats are not going to want to give up one of their hard-earned signature programs. But perhaps more important, the Mike Johnson version of the legislation contains no, zero, nada funding for military aid to Ukraine. Also badly needed because of the bloody and brutal invasion by Russia. So Chuck Schumer um, criticized the bill as well as the targeting of IRS funds. We believe, says the Democratic majority leader in the Senate, we believe our Democratic caucus, we should be doing all of it together, Israel, Ukraine, South Pacific, etc. And obviously a pay-for like that makes it much harder to pass. Johnson says he'll discuss this with Schumer. He wants to keep the two separate, Israel and Ukraine aid. But it's not just Chuck Schumer in the Senate, it's Mitch McConnell pushing for aid to both parties. McConnell abandoning his typically cautious style when it comes to aiding Ukraine, says Politico. Shrugging off pot shots at his leadership. Look, this may hurt McConnell in the Republican Party, but he's probably not going to run again. He's 81. He's had those problems with the falls and the Concussion and the freezing up twice in front of journalists. So he's doing what he thinks is the right thing. Now, McConnell's public and private lobbying efforts to greenlight tens of billions of dollars in Ukraine assistance is a sharp deviation from his usual more reserved consensus-building approach. And yesterday, uh, meeting with Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S. Committing again to try to help Kiev. And he went on one of the Sunday shows to do this, which is very rare for Mitch McConnell. So, maybe this is just Mike Johnson's opening position and then he'll agree to some Ukraine aid. He did seem to think it was important in one of the remarks he made a few days ago. Or maybe, you know, he wants this fight. Which would mean the Democratic Senate balks and Biden, well, the bill won't even get to Biden if the Democratic Senate won't pass it. It delays aid to Israel, and I don't think that's Johnson's intention. Washington Post says settler violence against Palestinians in the West Bank have reached record levels after the Hamas attack. B'Tselem, an Israeli human rights group, says at least seven Palestinians have been killed by Israeli settlers since the war in Gaza began. Um, and some 500 Palestinians have been driven from their homes in the West Bank. Settler groups say they're acting in self-defense. President Biden said last week that attacks by extremist settlers against West Bank residents amounted to pouring gasoline on fires already burning. It has to stop, he said. They have to be held accountable. This is kind of chilling. After a settler shot and killed Bilal Selah, Israeli police at the scene asked his brother Hashem for eyewitness testimony. As he approached the jeep, Washington Post reporters saw uniformed officers pull him aside for questions and then handcuff him. Hashem, his shirt still stained with his brother's blood, was shoved into an unmarked truck with civilian plates and driven away with a military escort. So, one spokesman for this group calling it like the Wild West now. Um, You know, it's sometimes hard to penetrate the fog of war and see who's to blame. But this seems like not a good look by the Israeli military and the settlers. New York Times... President Biden, while certainly supporting Israel, he's become, along with some of his top aides, more critical of Israel's response to the terrorist attacks and the unfolding humanitarian crisis. President and his senior aides cling to the hope that the new war might eventually give way to a resumption of talks about a normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, said on Face the Nation that Hamas's use of civilians as human shields creates an added burden for the Israeli Defense Forces, something we hope to talk about with the Israelis on a daily basis. But then he said the hospitals were not legitimate military targets, just as Israel was warning that another major hospital in Gaza had to be emptied out before the next round of bombing. Now, I think what's happening here is that Joe Biden knows the shift in public opinion around the world and he's trying to restrain Bibi Netanyahu from going too far or have Bibi order his authorities to try to crack down on these attacks on Palestinians on the West Bank as well as the humanitarian disaster, there's no other word for it right now, in Gaza. Now, Netanyahu gave a speech and took questions yesterday, and he did it in English, which you don't have to be a political genius to realize that was aimed at a Western audience and an American audience. He rejected calls for a ceasefire, no shock there. He said Israel was fighting the enemies of civilization itself he went on to talk about, it's us versus the barbarians. If other countries don't support Israel, you may be next. He said, not a single civilian has to die. He accused Hamas of preventing civilians from leaving the areas of conflict. Now, I think what we have here, though shrouded in darkness, and military officials in Israel not saying much about it, and then the Internet in Gaza was cut off for two days, is we are seeing the ground invasion that we all expected, but it just, it's just sort of slowly developed. You know, first they send some tanks, and they pulled back, and then they send more tanks. And now the Israeli military has Gaza City, the biggest city on the strip to surrounded by, on three sides. And so I think there's more to see here, but anybody who thought it was going to be a D-Day-style invasion uh, was wrong. The Israelis didn't want people to know that this was it. Instead, it was described as just a small-scale incursion, but it's increasingly looking like that was not the case. Now, the one bit of good news coming out of the region is that Israeli soldiers uh, yesterday rescued a female soldier who was one of the hostages taken captive by Hamas. Uh, Her name is Private Yuri Magadish, 19 years old. She's said to be in good condition. Joint operation between the military and Israel's internal security service. Um, At the same time, and you know, this is just despicable to release videos from hostages who know that you could kill them at any moment released a video showing three female hostages, or that's the claim anyway, one of them speaking in Hebrew, pleading for their release, blaming Netanyahu for Hamas's attack, and calling on Netanyahu to help free the hostages. Well, take that with many, many grains of salt. By the way, at this Netanyahu presser, a reporter from Australia said, People can't understand why so many people, civilians, have to die in this process. You argue Hamas is putting them up as human shields. Is that a good enough excuse? Are you inflicting here collective punishment on the people of Palestine? And Netanyahu said not a single civilian has to die. Hamas merely needs to let them go to the safe zone that we've created. It's a little more complicated than that. Then a reporter for ABC News Asked, given that your level of support has dropped, have you considered stepping down? BB said, the only thing I intend to resign, to have resigned, is Hamas. We are going to resign them to the dustbin of history. That's my goal. That's my responsibility. Now, speaking of headlines, as I was earlier with the New York Times, the Associated Press really got hammered on social media um, for the initial headline, about this incident, which itself is just unthinkable. An anti-Semitic mob in Russia was looking for Jews. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Looking for Jews at an airport after they heard a flight had landed from Tel Aviv. And the AP... Headline was Crowd Storms Russian Airport to Protest Flight from Israel. Here's one commentator saying, WTF, kind of description is this, AP? You have a bloodthirsty mob checking for passports and searching for Jews, and you describe it as a protest? A mob in the exact same place flooded a hotel yesterday to check the rooms for Jews. They're trying to lynch Jews. And the absolute imbeciles at the AP are framing it like a sit in protest. You know, the Russian authorities helped the Jews hide at this airport. But, and so the headline was later changed to 100 Storm Airport in Russia in Anti-Semitic Riot. And that's exactly what it was. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after
0: this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust? Or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
1: Number two, a really powerful editorial in the Wall Street Journal about what's happening to Jewish people around the globe. I mean, regardless of your views on the Middle East, this is revolting stuff. The disturbing fact of the past month, says the journal, is that Jews are under attack not only in Israel and not only by Hamas. The weeks since the barbaric october seventh Hamas invasion of Israel have witnessed physical assaults on Jews the world over, including the US and Europe. The most this most modern of pogroms, global, televised, politicized, demonstrates exactly what's at stake as Israel ramps up. Um, First example is what I just talked about, an anti-Semitic mob storming an airport in Russia, mobs raided hotels in other parts of the country looking for Jews, Jewish community center under construction in the center of yet another city, was the target of an apparent attack. Germany has witnessed a spate of anti-Semitic incidents, including an attack with Molotov cocktails against a synagogue in Berlin. Some Jews found Stars of David painted on their homes, an echo of the Nazi persecution. Two Jewish schools in London closed for a period over safety concerns. Some British Jews no longer feel safe wearing visible symbols of their faith. They're probably right to worry. The state can't protect them. Tens of thousands of protesters in London over three successive weekends called for jihad and chanted from the river to the sea, meaning that's how all of Israel should be wiped off the map. A crowd in Sydney, Australia, chanted, gas the Jews. This is is just unspeakable. I mean, it's not like they're just demonstrating, you know, on behalf of the Palestinians and they deserve their own state and so forth. Gas the Jews. Just the echoes of the Holocaust are deafening. Americans like to believe such things couldn't happen in the U.S. They have. Journal says that the ADL reported last week a 388% increase in anti-Semitic incidents in a couple of weeks in October compared to a year ago. These include a car carrying individuals with Palestinian flags allegedly swerving toward a Jewish family. Several alleged assaults by pro-Palestinian protesters. These and too many other incidents, the paper says, to count. Put the the notion that we can distinguish anti-Zionism from anti-Semitism to waste. If protesters wanted to burn Israeli flags in a fit of wrong-headed pique about a two-state solution, that is one thing. Only anti-Jewish hate can explain how synagogues, children, airports, are the target of this outrage. Yet many Western intellectuals and some politicians insist on maintaining this false distinction. Uh, I don't have anything to add to that. That is uh, some tough language that you know, I think makes a very, very persuasive case based on facts around the world. All right, story number three. This Des Moines Register poll yesterday, my column today on Fox is about this, has brought Nikki Haley a lot of positive press. And I have to say, she's run a good campaign. She has uh, performed well in both the debates. And in this poll, she tied Ron DeSantis for second place. In Iowa, this is the gold standard poll, Uh, they both have 16%. Everybody else down in single digits. And so, you know, some of the Never Trumpers are saying everybody else should pull out and let Nikki have a one-on-one with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's number in this poll is 43%. And he has a much higher level of extreme enthusiasm from his supporters than does either Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley. I mean, there are other statistics you can pull out of the poll to show that DeSantis has very high positives. Uh, Nikki Haley has pretty high positives. But, and you know, some people are playing up the fact that I think it was 27% of Trump voters, people say they at this moment would support Donald Trump, um, are saying they're open to voting for another candidate. In other words, they haven't fully slammed the door and made up their minds. But I think that's going to be difficult. Um, I think we will see other candidates drop out soon, but not that soon. Uh, Which leads me to a story about New Hampshire, actually a column in Politico by Jonathan Martin, saying, you know, I've talked about this before, the DNC demoted New Hampshire, from having the first in the nation primary, which happens to be required by New Hampshire law. I don't know how you pass such a law. And Biden just wanted to ignore it and have the first contest be South Carolina, where he actually sort of turned his campaign around in 2020 and went on to win the nomination and the presidency. So Biden was hoping to preempt a nuisance primary challenge that could embarrass him says this column, but that may be precisely what he's inviting upon himself. New Hampshire's intransigence was entirely predictable, and Biden should have known as much. Now, the thing is, although the DNC will strip New Hampshire of any delegates if it proceeds with insisting it will hold its primary right after Iowa, Uh, Now there is a candidate running against Joe Biden. And that candidate is Congressman Dean Phillips. Uh, Mixing the enthusiasm of a pre-adolescent gazing up at a T-Rex likeness and the happy warrior joy of his political hero, Hubert Humphrey, Phillips from Minnesota let out back-to-back wows as he signed his declaration of candidacy. Uh, Martin says, I'm reliably told it was Biden himself who wanted to reorder the party's nominating calendar. Well, the president, you know, has the clout to do that. Now, it's possible that Biden's New Hampshire nuisance won't fully materialize. Phillips is clearly torn of whether to criticize the president. Oops. Um... On Friday, he veered at times, only seconds apart, between praising Biden and presenting barely-veiled attacks on his age and economic record. Now, yesterday I dealt with a different column in Politico by Jack Schaefer basically saying, this guy's got nothing, it's going to completely evaporate because he doesn't have an issue he's running on, like Gene McCarthy in 68, anti-Vietnam War. He kind of agrees with most of Biden's policies. He just basically says that he's not up to the job. You know, it's about the president being 80 years old. Um, In a speech he gave, Phillips said he loved New Hampshire and he had gone to summer camp there. Martin says, while Phillips didn't open his campaign using summer as a verb, for the wealthy heir to an alcoholic beverage fortune to try to relate to his state by recalling his youth there at a sleepaway camp is, no matter how genuine the affection, ripe for mockery and a sign he is new to this process. Plus, he's hired longtime hard-charging GOP consultant Steve Schmidt, which could really help him, but people will say, why is a lifelong Republican and fiercely anti-Trump operative? running your campaign. So here's the dilemma. If Biden engages in New Hampshire and then Phillips gets a sizable protest vote, he loses. If Biden doesn't engage in New Hampshire, he could lose as well. And it's not about the accumulation of delegates in most of these races, it's about the perception of the state's results that shapes a campaign. Now, after this column appears, we find out in today's Washington Post, dozens of key Democrats are launching a writing campaign for President Biden in the New Hampshire primary election, after the president declined to add his name to the ballot, including 100 or more than 100 prominent New Hampshire Democratic and independent figures, including state lawmakers, former party leaders, Well, now he's kind of in whether he likes it or not. Whether he likes it or not. By the way, I just have to read this because it's entertaining, but, um, you know, the, the gag order in the federal case in New York against Donald Trump has been reinstated in light of some of his recent comments. Here is the former president's response on... Truth social, not constitutional, he says in all caps. It illegally and unconstitutionally takes away the first, my First Amendment right of free speech in the middle of my camp for president where I am leading both parties in the poll. And then he goes into this rant about his former Attorney General, Bill Barr. I call Bill Barr dumb, weak, slow-moving, lethargic, gutless, and lazy, and a rhino who couldn't do the job. He just didn't want to be impeached, which the Radical left lunatics were preparing to do. I was tough on him in the White House for a good reason. So now this moron says about me to get even, his verbal skills are limited. Well, that's one I haven't heard before. Bill Barr is a loser. Yes, Barr did say that on TV when asked about the former president. And Donald decided to punch back. But the point of this is that Barr could be a witness in the January 6th trial. And would this be perceived by the judge in that case as potentially trying to go after a witness or intimidate a witness? Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Oh, that was story number four, by the way. So let me get to number five, which is actually pretty important. This is about, basically, Silicon Valley's breakup with the news business. New York Times leads the piece by saying Campbell Brown, Facebook's top news executive, says she's leaving the company. Twitter removed headlines from its platform for stories that are posted by journalists, including me. I just type in the headline myself now, but that was just a few days later. The head of Threads, which is Instagram's attempt to compete with Twitter, said publicly, we're not going to amplify news. Even Google, the strongest partner to news organizations over the past 10 years, has become less dependable, making publishers more wary of their reliance on the search giant. And it's laid off some news employees. If it wasn't clear before, it's clear now. The major online platforms are breaking up with news. Uh, Adam Mosseri, who runs Instagram, Uh, has said that hosting news on their sites can often be more trouble than it's worth because it generates polarized debates. Duh. Um, Elon Musk has expressed disdain for the mainstream press. Fact check, true. Publishers seem resigned to the idea that traffic from the big tech companies will not return to what it once was. It used to be a really important element in the number of clicks that, you know, you name it. New York Times, L.A. Times, USA Today, Washington Post, and lots of um, smaller papers and regional papers we're getting. That's a thing of the past. Uh, according to this piece, top news sites got about 11.5% of their web traffic in the U.S. from social networks in 2020. So then it was 11%. It's still a key component. By September of this year, it's down to 6.5%. So that's unmistakable. Uh, Google's VP of News said that the company continues to put a priority on sending valuable traffic to publishers and supporting a healthy open web. Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't that long ago, 2019, Facebook introduced Facebook News to help users find news coverage from partner publications that it was paying. Twitter teamed up with the AP and Reuters to address Misinformation, but all that's now ancient history. Facebook news is no longer. Since since Elon Musk bought Twitter nearly a year ago, and by the way, it's now valued at about half uh, of what he paid, that $44 billion. He's introduced changes that de-emphasize traditional media on the site, including not showing headlines and removing the verified blue check from journalists and public figures who did not pay for it. Platforms like TikTok, Snapchat, and Instagram generate negligible traffic numbers to media outlets. So, the Wall Street Journal, for instance, started noticing a decline 18 months ago, according to a recording of a September staff meeting obtained by the Times. We are at the mercy of social algorithms and tech giants for much of our distribution, says Journal Editor-in-Chief Emma Tucker, in this newsroom meeting. Now, Google says, hey, we send 24 billion clicks per month to news publishers' websites. But some publishers are saying there's been a real decline in Google referring traffic. Look, I guess this was inevitable. And if publishers, if the news industry had been quicker and smarter and more nimble to make their websites better. I mean, originally they were just, you know, kind of a repeat of what was in the newspaper. That's changed a lot on some of the best news websites. Uh, They wouldn't have been as reliable, as reliant, I should say, on Silicon Valley. But they sort of got into bed with these tech companies, the It was kind of an addiction for a while, all the traffic they got. Everybody's like, you know, got to get on Twitter, got to get on Facebook, got to post, got to get that traffic. Both individual journalists and news organizations as a whole. But now they're considered competitors, maybe because their websites are somewhat better and more up to date and have lots of online writing and features that don't appear in the print edition. So there's a reason to go there. So... You know, as a journalist, I wish Silicon Valley appreciated the value of news content. But since they're always getting slammed for not uh, adequately addressing misinformation, I think they shy away now. They think it's poison. They think it's too controversial. Which, you know, they're in business to make money. That's fine. But shying away from controversy? What happened to, you know, these tough Guys like Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. It is what it is. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us today. I do a lot of research for this podcast just so we can, I can share it with you. And I will be back here with more of the same tomorrow with more Buzzmeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music.